0: Hello, I'm the podcaster without fear, Luke.
1: I'm the uncanny Ryan.
0: I am Kylie the Poodinger.
1: I am the superior Caitlin. And I am the agitated Kyle. And, and we are most of the Nerd Dome Podcast. Every Friday, some variation of this group gets together and talks about all things nerd. The newest stuff in TV, movies, comics, video games, and
0: more. So join us in the Dome every Friday to hear all things nerd.
2: From a bunch of people who are probably a bit too into it. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be.
1: A-
3: the owner of a comic book store.
1: Trust me, true believer. Well, Jagger
0: and me, we had a running contest to see who had the most comic books in the world. Whatever, my escape was uh, comic book.
4: Net profit to me, negative
2: $59. I love the comics because of the brightness displayed by the fellows who drew them. They remain, they remain with me always. And when comic books first came into being, it drew me to them.
5: Tales from the Comic Shop.
0: Hey, welcome to Tales from the Comic Shop, the show that takes you behind the counter. I'm your host, Joe. Today I'm joined by Roger and Eddie. And we have some very special guests also with us today. We have the co creators of Thomas River. Doug Wagner, and Brian Stelfreeze. How are you gentlemen doing today? Rocking it, dude. Yeah, having
1: a great day, man.
0: Awesome. Roger, Eddie, what are you guys up to? Surviving. I'm on
1: COVID quarantine, so I've just been bored.
0: <laughs> Ooh, that sounds boring. All right. Well, we're going to jump into some news real quick. Mariko Tamaki has been... Been announced as the new writer for Detective Comics, marking the first time in its 80-year history that a female is writing on either of the tentpole Bat books.
1: Either of them, huh? So both Detective yep. and Mainline Batman.
0: Yes, sir. It's quite a feather in her cap. It's kind of bizarre that it took this long for a, a woman to be named the writer of either of those books. But yeah, um, that is a
4: little long. <laughs> yeah, especially long when you consider it's
1: both titles.
0: Yeah, eighty years. Um, it's
4: a minute. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just I just oh, always thought that, that, uh, that Devin Grayson had uh, had already written some detective uh, issues or something like that.
0: Um, I that's possible. It's just not what the release that I saw said. It, they it's might be
2: considering her. someone as an ongoing, long-term
0: writer. Then, sure, maybe. Yeah,
3: that would make sense. Brian, Devin Grayson did Gotham Knights, which wasn't one of the uh,
4: she
1: wasn't that wasn't uh, Batman. It wasn't or the temple series, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh,
4: okay. Okay. I just uh I knew she would she was banging around the um the bat office when uh when I first got there. So I just assumed that uh that maybe she was uh she was in there doing some stuff.
3: Yeah. It's you. honestly hard to believe that it's been that that nobody I mean, you got Devin...
4: um I mean, there's been some great female yeah, writers. Gail, Gail Simone. I'm surprised. A ton of Batman stuff.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I'm surprised Gail hasn't done anything on well, that yet.
0: wasn't, well, she was all, I mean, Birds of Prey is, you know, obviously the one that jumps. Actually, but that's the guys, thing. She's
1: been so successful in that universe. The fact that she they haven't had her make that jump is really surprising.
0: Yeah, it is. No, a little yeah, that bit is. Tough. For those of you who aren't familiar with Mariko Tamaki, duh, I know Eddie had a, a book that he really liked that she did called, was it Spider-Man Venom?
2: Yeah, it was, I believe the story was, it was called Double Trouble, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay. It was kind of an all ages, almost slightly chibi kind of style story uh, book. And the premise was really fantastic. If you know, if any of you haven't read it, I definitely recommend you guys go back and read it. it uh, the, the basic premise is, that Venom wants to go on to an American Ninja-style reality TV show and win, but they won't let him go on because he's Venom. So he figures out a way to switch bodies with Spider-Man so he can go on the show and win. And it's just hilarious. It's just really funny.
0: Nice. That does sound good. I will be checking that out. Um, I mean, other credits, she's done some Harley, Quinn, looks like X-23, Supergirl, Tomb Raider, Lumberjanes, which is... An excellent book i don't know how many of you have gotten a chance to pick that up but i recommend it but yeah so that's about gonna do it for news for us this week it's been a slow news week
1: so doug i heard that uh, recently your apartment's just like an open house just anyone can <laughs> walk on by unlock the door drop in is that when are when are we all invited
3: I mean, I, you know, I just moved into Salt Lake and I guess that's a thing here. Like everybody gets a key to your apartment so they can come in whenever they feel like it. I, you know, I mean, I'm not from Utah, so I don't understand all the rules, but I guess that's part of the
2: hospitality program.
1: No, no. Obviously the guy was just out of fry sauce and he needed to borrow some. (laughs) And so he stopped by to see if he had any.
3: And obviously I don't have fry sauce because I'm not from Utah.
1: So So, so he left in disappointment very quickly and you let him down. You let a man down, Doug. Yeah, You know, that's not abnormal. Uh,
4: and, uh, and, and just in case anyone wants to visit Doug, his address is 522 Malcolm Lane. <laughs> and if any of you are traveling
2: from out of state to Utah to get into Doug's place, just know that fry sauce is disgusting.
1: Oh, wrong. Hey, we're not going to get down that path because we're going to have an argument here.
2: Uh, I'm, I'm for it.
1: I'm, I'm there fry for sauce. it.
2: Is that
5: mayo
0: and ketchup? <laughs>
1: Uh, there's, there's more, there's mayo, ketchup, a little bit of pickle, dill pickle juice, some garlic. It's
4: more than oh, just dude, mayo stop, ketchup. Stop, stop, just, just stop. <laughs> <laughs> just. You know, I, I was, I was thinking that, uh, that it might be interesting because it has the word fry and sauce in it. But nah, nah, nah! You crashed it, man. You totally
2: crashed
1: it. <laughs> this is this is one of the few times in my life that my Utah really shows is when I defend fry sauce. That is definitely the that's the most Utah thing about me. I think.
2: Yeah. This is the issue that is polarizing this country. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: right. Yeah, that's, that's right. Important. So hey, you guys got um. So your new project, Thomas River. You guys want to tell us a little bit about it? Why you're excited for this project? What you got going on? Go uh, first, Brian. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I think um, I think the the cool thing is is uh, we've done comics for just about every uh, publisher, and uh, and we've tried like a bunch of different things, and uh, and we've just kind of decided to do our own thing, and we've done that through Image, but we wanted even more control because both Doug and I are kind of control freaks, and uh, and we just decided to go Kickstarter with uh, with this one so that we can kind of take it directly. To the fans, kind of get the uh, distributor, publisher, everybody out of the way, and uh, and it's it's actually been kind of a real learning experience, but just a just a ton of fun. I mean, it it almost feels like I just got into the industry again. It's uh, it's just really kind of a uh, kind of a cool hangout, and uh, and the book itself is uh, is something Doug and I have wanted to do for a few years now, but it doesn't quite fit in standard comics which is one of the reasons why we decided to go to uh, Kickstarter. This is more of a spy espionage book. And, uh, and it's about this, um, uh, guy who's like a world-renowned engineer, which gives him the ability to travel all over the world. But he uses that as a cover because he's like a CIA agent. And, uh, and it's kind of like James Bond, John Wick, you know, sort of full action stuff.
2: Now that sounds pretty awesome. Um, Can I ask you guys this? Is this the first Kickstarter that either of you have done? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I don't know if you guys did this, but from a retailer standpoint, I always like to give this advice to people who are going to do a Kickstarter who maybe not have a lot of experience doing it. Uh, If you haven't done this, always add a retailer level because I've got so many creator friends that want me to support them as a retailer for their Kickstarter. And I tell mm-hmm. them, fine, but you got to put a re- uh, level on there that's like maybe half a dozen copies of the same book. So I have inventory to put in my store. Doesn't do me any good as a retailer to have one copy of the book, a bookmark, a pin, and all that. So yep. if you guys haven't done that already, uh, you know, when you do your next one, I definitely recommend that. Always put a retailer level because if you do, I will always support it.
4: Sweet. Really appreciate it, man. Well, we're definitely. Um... Uh, Going to be uh, considering that. That's something that uh, that we're doing sort of separate from the uh, Kickstarter. But uh, but yeah, definitely. Um, we want to. I mean, Doug and I are, are. We try to be huge supporters of uh, of retailers because retailers tend to be huge supporters of us. So um, so like uh, Kickstarter was just kind of trying something different. So how
1: different no. is it when you're on like Kickstarter when you're doing the you know, the marketing and the support for the book versus doing something that was published through, you know, either image where it's your own or also compared to like Marvel or DC, where it's obviously something you don't own.
3: It's dude. Like what we found out, we went in after reading article after article, you know, help section after help section of, of how to run a Kickstarter. And still (laughs) we didn't have a clue of what we were doing. Um, it's, you think it has something to do with the comic book industry, but it doesn't feel anything like the comic book industry. So, what I would say is, it's actually completely different. Like, it's 30 days of nonstop promoting. Um, you know, you, you've got to take care of the people that are back in your product. So, you're constantly responding to, you know, trying to take care of the people that are taking care of you. So, like, you're constantly responding to, to emails and, you know, Facebook messages and that kind of stuff. And um, it's just a, such a different animal. Because, like, I mean, I'm sure Brian's going to chime in here. Usually, like, when you do a comic for for one of the publishers, you send it in six months before it's going to hit the stands, and then you don't ever hear anything back ever.
4: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In fact, um, Doug and I were talking the other day, and one of the things that, uh, that I remarked about was it was as if we were inventing the comic for the very first time. <laughs> you know, there was, mm-hmm. there was just like, not all, I mean, even, even though you can lean on, on the experience of, uh, of others, and the Kickstarter community is really cool about sharing information. It really almost doesn't matter. So, uh, and, and Doug and I tend to let our work speak for itself. We tend to be reclusive and, and not necessarily engaging, uh, online, uh, very engaging if you meet us at a convention, but uh, but we don't do like a lot of the um, uh, social media stuff, and Kickstarter is all about that, <laughs> you know. So so you really have to kind of kind of put yourself out there. Uh, so so it was it was it was very very different, and uh, and and it was kind of kind of cool at the same time. So uh, so it was like doing comics with the uh, with even with Image and doing comics with Marvel and DC you really almost have no connection with the fans whatsoever during the actual publishing part of the comic. But, uh, but Kickstarter was just completely different. Yeah, it's a whole uh, new challenge. That's cool.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now as someone who has run <clears throat> three successful Kickstarters, Woo! <laughs> I, uh, uh, someone when I did my very first one gave me the best piece of advice and I did it on all three of my Kickstarters and if any other creators are out there wanting to get their book out and thinking about doing Kickstarter, this is the best piece of advice I ever got. Every level that you do needs to be, uh, you need to be giving that person, whoever picks whatever level, you need to give them more than their money is worth. They need to feel like, oh my God, I pledged this much money, but look how much stuff I'm getting for it. And that was the best advice I ever got. And the way to get around having to spend more than what the level is is, is by basically just using the stuff for that level that you have around that you've already put the work into. Like for you guys, I'm sure, you know, Doug and both of you, you've done a lot of work for indie stuff that you have probably like like me, boxes in your house of copies of whatever, you know, books of series that you did in the past. Well, all those things put together make great Kickstarter rewards. And it's all oh, stuff dude, that's, that's already that's, pretty that's, much that's paid so for.
4: And, and we definitely leaned into that.
2: That's perfect. Yeah, I mean that was the best advice I ever got, and I definitely I share it with anybody else who's going to
4: do Kickstarter.
1: How much? Uh, how much did you guys end up raising on Kickstarter for this book?
4: Yeah, we, we did uh, twenty thousand in the uh, in the first day, and after that, I checked out. <laughs> you know, I was just <laughs> like, okay, good. <laughs> it's like it's like I took off the uniform and sat on the bench and was just like, who won what, that yeah, race?
2: whatever you get on top of that is gravy. So you did your job.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, (laughs) and, and I think, uh, I think you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, One of the things that, um, that uh, Doug, Kevin, and I always say is, is we want to over deliver, you know, that's, that's our mantra is, is Uh deliver, always give more than what people uh, expect. And especially since this is our kind of maiden voyage here, we want to, we want to do it right. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that we, we're concerned about making sure that the book was done before we even started the Kickstarter. That was like yeah. an important thing for us. That's to and do.
1: that's really really important and really smart because yeah. not enough people do that.
4: Oh yeah, right. Uh, well, in in the past, I've 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 been working on books that have been on the diamond schedule, and then my hand breaks. <laughs> you know, this is like, oh okay, <laughs> you know, doesn't yeah. matter how much I want to do the book, my hand is broken. So yeah. I'm. I'm going to be like uh, a month and a half, two months out, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. But you guys definitely, I mean, you did it right because that's the best thing is showing people that they're not pledging to something maybe that you want to do in the future. You're showing them, hey, look, we got the work done here. We just need the money to get it finished. And this is what you're going to get. And people are seeing it. And they definitely, they get excited about it.
4: Yeah, yeah. And it's it's, it's kind of, like I, I think when you're when you're writing comics and when you're drawing comics, to a certain extent, it's it's very lonely work, you know. It's it's you're you're just alone in your studio, kind of getting it done, and uh, and the people uh, behind Kickstarter, they really feel like, hey man, we want to pitch in, we want to help you, <laughs> you know, do this thing. So uh, mm-hmm. so it's it, it, it's it's a real different uh, sort of attitude, uh, and and yeah. something that I really kind of, uh, kind of enjoyed. I mean, Doug, Doug and I, this is uh, one of Doug's uh, great ideas was we did a, um, a sort of podcast every, every week or, or live cast um, through uh, uh, Instagram. And, uh, and that was, that was a lot of fun. It was, uh, it was, oh, that it was is really a really kind
2: fantastic of fantastic yeah. idea.
4: Yeah. So, um, so people could come and ask us questions and, uh, and, and the way that we treated it was, hey, man, we oftentimes get together and just talk about whatever. Well, let's do that. And if somebody wants to join us, cool. And uh, and sure. the room ended up like, you know, kind of filling up, you know, uh, every week.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, but that's kind of what that... you're on right now is the same thing. We would just, <laughs> you know, we just talk to each other and we're like, eventually like, maybe we should record some of this.
2: Yeah, <laughs> Cool. But Brian, you use that as basically a loose kind of tool to promote the Kickstarter as it was going, correct? Mm-mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. That, that is a fantastic idea, and I know, I kid you not, I am stealing that idea.
4: Oh, dude, <laughs> <about it>? dude, <laughs> yeah. we did not copyright it. It's yours. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, that it's
2: great that you guys are jumping on and doing Kickstarter now and really learning uh, the tricks of the trade for it because, as anyone here I think will agree, it's already shaping up to be what I think the next big distribution model.
5: Mm-hmm. And oh to yeah. not be yeah.
2: a part of it I think is going to be a disservice to any indie creator uh whether you you work for the big two or not you're always going to be doing side projects and I think that's going to be the way to go
4: yeah well I think I think you said the um, the primary thing right there um because I, I think oftentimes with a, with a retailer especially if you're doing something that's uh, kind of off canter or if you're uh, a new creator or if you're a super independent, uh, creator. It's sort of, I mean, I, I totally um, empathize with a lot of retailers where if you've got a choice of, uh, of spending your money on a, on a DC or a Marvel, you know, uh, book that you know is going to move out of the shop or taking a chance on this independent that no one's ever heard of with a storyline that's just completely off the beaten path it's kind of hard to take that that chance. And, and I appreciate the retailers that do run that risk. But, uh, but at the same time, I think Kickstarter is an opportunity for those people to get themselves notice, um, in a sense, play play on the same playing field as some of the uh, some of the, the bigger creators that are coming to Kickstarter. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, you mentioned uh, stories off the beaten path, and that you're talking to the one of the retailers that probably sold the most copies of plastic of any retailer in the country. So we're oh, definitely uh, <laughs> we're definitely happy to get onto the beat, <laughs> off that beaten path. I think.
4: Oh man! Well, 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 plastic plastic should have been sold with a machete knife so that you <laughs> could. Can- <laughs> <laughs> goes deep into the beaten you know sort of unbeaten path <laughs> as possible yeah absolutely well,
2: my store as well has a reputation for selling more kind of oddball off the beaten path stuff as well uh, it has a history from the 70s and 80s as being a big place a big retailer of underground comics back then so we still have a reputation of that we get we sell a lot of the big two, of course, but we have a lot of people coming in that are looking for oddball stuff. We have a lot of tourists because we're in Santa Monica that are coming in and looking for different type stuff. So that Kickstarter model really works well for us in our shop because it gives oh. us a chance to try some new things that I can look and see and think, wow, hey, this is going to appeal to my customers.
4: Yeah. Well, I totally appreciate are- you guys. You you guys sound – and, and that's, that's a tricky thing in comics because I think – there's comic book shops, and then there's comic book retailers. Uh, yeah, and, sure. And, Absolutely. And I think, we talk
1: about that a lot, actually.
4: Oh, dude. And and there's, there's way too many times where a person walks into a comic book shop and they feel like an alien uh, because they're just not part of the shop. Uh, and the retailer is just... It's not really a retailer. it's just a shop. You come and you get your stuff and you leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one tries to sell you anything. no one is interested in what you're interested in. So you guys sound like you're doing it uh, really the right way. Uh, and well, that was retail. that was
1: actually one of the inspirations for my store is there was a shop out here I had an experience with out in, in my area um, where I, I went in looking for um, like horror comics. And the employee there literally said, oh, the weird stuff's over there and just pointed that (laughs) direction.
4: (laughs) Oh, man, I bet that made you feel welcomed.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that was one of my inspirations when we did our when we designed our store um, of how to design it was just what you're talking about. Making sure that whatever it is you're into, like we obviously want people that are into superheroes to feel welcome as well. But not everybody is reading superhero. And frankly, a lot of people reading superhero like the other stuff, too, especially once you've exposed them to it.
2: Yeah, I can kind of attest to the same experience as well because uh, I managed the shop with my wife. So we really took on, when we took over the shop six years ago, we really took on the mantra of comics are for everybody. And we really tried to get away from, you know, the the old guys club type of comic shop, the the dungeon type comic shop.
4: Oh, dude, nice.
2: Yeah, because before we took over the shop, my wife sometimes... Would go to a local shop in our area to find some, you know, old issues of Amazing Spider-Man for me for like for my birthday or something like that. And every time she would tell me that she would go into these places and have a horrible experience and feel uncomfortable. And so when we took over the shop and she decided to manage it with me, we went in the complete opposite direction. And we went from a shop where literally girlfriends or wives would kind of very uncomfortably walk in the door looking to buy something for their husband or boyfriend to having regular female customers. Our pool customers are probably like oh, equally nice. you know, male and female. And whereas before when we took over, it wasn't. And we really cultivated that type of atmosphere. And we really think that all retail comic shops should be that way.
4: Oh, yeah. There, yeah. No, without a doubt.
0: It's not even just, like, female people coming in. I mean, like, anyone who doesn't know a lot about comics, if you go into one of those comic dungeon stores, there's, like, a 70% mm-hmm. chance you're going to get laughed at by... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it. It's just... It's a bad feeling. It I mean, is. If you're that Me, guy, I, it's a bad feeling. I mean, you've yeah. watched people literally come into a shop, interact with the employee for a minute or two, and then they're just gone, and they never yeah. come back. See,
2: now, oh, yeah, our employees... Yeah. We, we stress to our employees that if you know a lot about comics and people like that come in, you do not talk down to them or treat them less than that's your opportunity to get them excited about the stuff that you know and the stuff that you think that they might like. And when that happens, we, I literally had an employee who's since left that would do that because he knew so much. He would get people excited about reading different things because he would ask them, oh, what movies do you like? What TV shows do you like? And then he would say, really, well, then you would totally love this and then give them a little elevator pitch of what it's about. And then these people would literally come to the counter with like about a dozen trade paperbacks. And they were just so excited about buying these things and reading them. So that's really what we should be doing with our extensive knowledge when these people.
1: Yeah, I, I often say that we don't sell books. We sell community. Amazon sells books.
2: Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, so, so Doug, speaking of uh, a plastic, I know that opened some unexpected doors for you. Um, talk about some of those experiences, some of the unique things that came about from, from such a unique book. Well, I mean, th- what's interesting about plastic is, is when I pitched it to Daniel, that's, I pitched Daniel
3: like several books and that's the one he's like, I have to do this one. And I was like, if you, <laughs> you've obviously never met Daniel, he's, he's the nicest Englishman who lives in Spain. And I was like, are you sure? Because dude, this is going to be a little bit disturbing. And he's like, no, this is the book. And so all along the way to getting it published, just about everybody told us we were crazy for doing it. And you were. (laughs) (laughs) And so when it came out and people responded to it, and luckily it resonated with somebody other than Daniel and I, you know, it kind of like, it, it opened our eyes to like, hey, let's do comics like we want to do comics. And I think the biggest part there was just like opening up these opportunities of like, people actually enjoyed this. You know, when we started getting coverage from like, horror directors and horror actors and that kind of stuff. And people were really into it. It just opened up a lot of doors for us in, in ways we never suspected. And, you know, I still wouldn't suspect.
1: You ended and, uh, up at a, at a porn convention, too, for that book, didn't you? <laughs>
3: oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, I got invited to uh, the AVN, which is, you know, the big one where they have the awards and stuff. One of the owners of a porn company uh, liked the book, contacted me and said, I will fly you out if you'll sign plastic at my booth. And so flew me out there, put me up the whole nine, you know, like took good, great care of me. We're good friends even now, you know. And dude, I mean, like, you know, it, it was, it was. A, I can't even put it into words of what how surreal that experience was because I'd never been to. Yeah. How like was
1: that. how was the response in among that crowd to comic books? I mean, how did you how did you fit in there?
3: <laughs> I don't mean this, this, sound yeah, I, I, this is how bad. Yeah. This is going to sound bad, but I don't mean it to. I had a better response there than I've had at any comic book convention. (laughs) I had more people standing in line waiting to get my autograph in an hour than I ever had at a comic book convention.
2: You know, that raises an interesting point, though, that sometimes you are better off marketing your book to an audience that aren't comic book readers but are somewhat connected to the material than to actually market it to comic book readers. I agree.
3: Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're, yeah. you're, you're so right. It's, you've got to, yeah. you've got to branch out a little bit and try to go to even, you know, cons that are genre close to yours. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, it's like horror cons and, you know, I mean, and, and you know, maybe even try something like a book fair. You know, yeah, or just just, just be careful con.
1: which just be okay. careful which book fair you bring that book to. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I might end up in prison. Yeah, don't go to the scholastic <laughs> or anything. That's oh, not gonna work well. Well
4: the the um the, the crazy thing about it is is uh when you look at the books that are being published, you know, just just regular books, and when you look at the movies that are that are coming out, not all of them are superhero. You know, it's just like you, you still have like every genre you can imagine. And I I think it's, it's, it's weird that, that a lot of the, the main key publishers are locked into doing superhero comics and, and that's it. So it's really up to the independents to kind of like carry the rest of the genres across the finish line.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree entirely.
4: Yeah. Uh, One thing I do want to say is, uh, is as a comic book creator, You meet so many of the people that you're heroes of, and a thing that Doug and I will constantly say to ourselves: "Man, I wonder what thirteen-year-old Brian or thirteen-year-old Doug would think if I told them this." Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and it just it just reminds me: what would thirteen-year-old Doug have said? If he said, you're going to go to a porn convention.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what well, what 13-year-old Doug have said, Doug? <laughs> but he's got a lot of training to do.
3: <laughs> you got to get ready for that, man. <laughs>
1: So a question for both of you guys. Uh, What is something about your job that kind of the average person would be surprised to learn, maybe like a misconception or something that they just don't think of um, about actually creating?
4: Well, for, for me, I think the wacky thing about it is, is that it's a job. You know, I think I think what what ends up happening is people oftentimes go to conventions and they see us like drawing and talking to people and doing all this stuff and they're like man i'd like to be a comic book artist so i can do that and that is 2% of what you do <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> the, the they rest also of it don't is... realize
2: that sometimes you have to do that even when you don't want to
4: oh yeah 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 <laughs> so so it's so it's 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 actually a a job i mean you know you you get up in the morning you sit down. You work all day, uh, as almost as if you're an accountant, you know, just uh, just drawing pages, and uh, and then you know, uh, at night you sort of shut things down, and uh, and either you know sort of go home or watch some TV. So, so I think the thing that, that people would be surprised about is that this is an incredibly boring job. I mean, you do really exciting stuff, but it's just a day to day sort of boring job.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. What about you, Doug?
4: When I talk to a lot of people, you know, and I've
3: had many jobs, so I understand where people are coming from. First off, Brian's right. Like, writing and creating is 10 times harder than any other job I've ever done. And I've done some really nasty jobs. <laughs> um, I think Brian and I talk about this a lot too. Like, when you're creating and you get in the flow, any single singularity that interrupts that flow almost destroys your entire day so you can't work for the rest of the day so you're working away and your friend calls and you talk for 15 minutes on the phone about the latest mandalorian episode your creativity might be done for the day yeah you know and I'm I think, over
2: here nodding my head furiously
3: <laughs> you know, <it's> like <laughs> one of these like and it's so frustrating cuz you're like man i was in the zone and then my wife came in and asked me if i'd read the newspaper you're like not now like <laughs> you know you can't and it's it's something that simple can throw you off and it's not like a regular like all the other jobs i've had where i'm like you know here i am you know shoveling snow or whatever and you're like hey i'm going to talk to my friend for 50 minutes and i'll go back to shoveling snow and it's an easy transition and with yeah. creativity it's the exact opposite it's like any small thing gets in the way of that that flow for the day and your day might be done. And then you're already behind and you get more stress. You know, it's like this crazy stress ball that goes with it too. It's an interesting, uh, an interesting line.
2: And then when you snap at the wife and she says, okay, fine. Well, maybe I won't talk to you all day. You're like, yes,
4: exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I think, um, and I think, you know, um, Doug can, can agree to, um, to this one uh, also is that when you do, when you have a creative job, no one has respect for that oh, whatsoever. No. <laughs> you know, and it's um, it's like I would never call my buddy, you know, the garbage man while he's at work. <laughs> you know, sure, I, sure. You know, but but no one has any problem calling me anytime during the day. you know, it's just like there's just an assumption. That I'm actually not working, and I know yeah. Doug kind of uh, suffers the same thing. There's just and 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 I mean that family doubles down on that. You know, they will just call you in the middle of the day <laughs> uh, and want to talk to you about something, and you have to say I'm at work. I like, know oh, you're oh. not.
2: You're home drawing your little cartoons. Just let me talk. Yeah, to you. exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Well, and being self-employed very much that way too. If you run even running your own retail store, I've times where I'm on shift, actively talking to customers. People are like, yeah, but I mean, you can do whatever you want. You're the boss. It's like, no, but they have a job still
0: yeah well, no, exactly it's, it's yeah really, it's really fascinating about any kind of professional job that anyone just assumes they can do it whether you're a lawyer or like you we were talking about this the other day you wouldn't challenge michael jordan to a game of one-on-one and expect to win <laughs> but everyone thinks that they can go and become the professional artist i saw a stat that 60 percent of americans who watch medical dramas think they have medical expertise <laughs> which is terrifying. Right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Hopefully none of them run hospitals and that's
1: yeah, they're not hiring those people.
0: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But it's just it's mm-hmm. fascinating to me that with profession like there's just this lack of respect for every any professional level person. Mm-hmm. There's this idea that anyone can just go and do it and they don't see the the 10,000 hours that it took you yeah. to perfect your craft to become that professional.
2: But, Joe, oh, yeah. I've been reading Batman all my life. I know how to write Batman.
0: <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, you're talking about me specifically. That's true. Yes, I could write
4: Batman. <laughs> yeah. well, the, um, the, the, other, the other thing that I think is funny is, um, is the whole idea of, oh, when you were born, some like fairy anointed you with an oil which gave you talent. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, You're and so lucky like you had to be to,
4: so
1: good at this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 It's like
4: it's like it doesn't require any actual work or anything like that. No. You just happen to have this talent and and a new like Amazon shipment of talent shows up every week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have got a question for you that just popped in my head, Brian. As as a you know, a working artist, like how much of getting your foot in that door is just dumb luck versus talent?
4: Well, I think um and, and and I've I've heard it attributed to, you know, sort of Michael Jordan, but like it's like that combination of preparedness and luck. You know, that's what you what you have to have. It's like you know, like if you're kind of prepared and the opportunity happens, then you're good to go. I, I think with um with a lot of people, you know, you you have like a lot of people online that do like a drawing every week and, and pine about, yeah, I'd love to do comics. And, (laughs) and I always go, no, no, (laughs) you know, your drawing that you're doing once a week isn't going to cut it. You know, you to do comics, it's actually like work. Um, So, so I do think, I think there's dumb luck, but, um, but I think dumb luck only shows up if you have consistency. And uh, and that that to me is is the key thing as far as uh, doing comics is concerned is uh, is just being consistent, being able to consistently produce work, being able to consistently do good stuff, being able to, you know, just be consistent.
1: I, I spend a lot of time with publishers and I think that I've heard that from literally every one of them, that they don't care how good your art is. If you can't deliver in the volume and in the time frame that they need, they don't care.
4: Oh, yeah. 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 And even even the, the coolest thing is, is even if you're slow, like I'm I'm slow, but I'm consistently slow. <laughs> you know? sure, sure. So so it, um, it, it it totally it totally works out. You'll you'll have a job if uh, if if the editor isn't going to be surprised, uh, then, you know, it's like it's smooth sailing.
1: So, um, for our show, we're based, our our whole idea and our concept around the story this show is kind of clearing up noise, letting people know how things work in the industry, not just on social media and from random people on Facebook. Um, (laughs) so with, you know, with that in mind, I'd love to know what your guys' opinion and kind of what you see, or if you have any thoughts about the current state of the comic book industry right now.
4: Oh, dude, that's ours, man. (laughs) (laughs) That is is literally ours. Um. Um, uh, Doug, why don't you take that one on while I calm down? (laughs) (laughs) I think,
3: you know, obviously the pandemic is changing everything. And I've kind of seen it from a different point of view, I think, than a lot of other people where I'm seeing a forced evolution of everything. And so how we do business, how we distribute comics, um, how comic shops survive during something like this is forcing all of us to change how, you know, change our perspective on how we do things. And... I mean, clearly there's something, you know, we don't know what's going on with DC and where that's going to lead, for sure. And they're being pretty quiet about it. My, what I take comfort in is that I know everybody on this podcast, every retailer I've ever talked to, and every creator I've ever talked to, we love comics. And is comics going to go through a rough time? It already is. Um, we've been through rough times before. We love our comics so much that we will make sure this industry survives it just based on that. Even if it doesn't make sense, because a lot of times you got to admit what we do doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not the smartest business to go into.
1: Sure. Yeah, sure.
3: <laughs> um, I think we will figure it out together. I don't know what it looks like because everything's so uncertain, but I do believe that like, you've got five people right now on this podcast that I think no matter what, we're going to figure out a way to do comics and get them to people and get them into people's hands. We might not know what that looks like a year from now, but we'll figure it out. Sure. Because we
4: love yeah. it, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm on a different facet than that. Um, I totally, absolutely, um, you know, uh, agree with that. But uh, but one of the things that just just really gets me angry is just, I mean, good comics. You know, that's that's the the really freakish thing about it is if we produced good comics, everything would be fine. You know, there there just wouldn't be a problem. But I think I think too much is put on the marketing of comics rather than producing good comics. Uh, I think um, when creators are kind of left on their own or really like messed with very little and their only edict is do the best story you can, not necessarily do the best story you can, but you can't use these characters. And also you have to make sure that the lead character was once shot in the head. You know, it's it's, sure. it's just like, it's impossible with all these restrictions of continuity and all these uh, restrictions on storytelling and all these events that are going on. It is impossible to do a good story because you're not doing your story. You're only allowed one little piece of like the big giant picture. And what's uh, what's funny to me is, There are several times when we get to the end of a big event, rather that's a big Marvel event or a big DC event, there's some buddies of mine that are hardcore Marvel goons. And I delight in asking them, so what happened? (laughs) And they have no idea. They can't they can't I mean, and they read every issue of everything that came out. They spent four hundred dollars a week trying to get all the collected Books and all that stuff, and they have no idea what the big event was about. Oh, sure. Brian, uh,
0: you have to go back and listen to me trying to explain to Eddie and Roger what <laughs> Dark Knight's Metal was about a year after I had read it. <laughs> oh, <God>. it's hilarious! <laughs>
4: oh man, man, it is, and it's, and it's, 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 it's really weird, you know. And um, uh, uh, Cully Hamner said something that was uh, that I thought was really interesting. He said that that comics sometimes is only as interesting as civil war reenactors. You know, if you're into civil war battles and you're hanging around with your buddies, they're interesting, but most people are not. (laughs) So they're not interesting. (laughs) And, uh, and I think the, um, the, the, the problem, especially with getting new readers in is some of the stuff is so dense and it's not really storytelling. It's just yep. kind of history kind of repeating itself over and over. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually, yeah. I think
1: we had a nice debate about this topic on this, this podcast a couple of weeks ago
4: and kind of saying oh, some of the yeah. same stuff that you're we've saying had, right now. We've had, yeah. had the, Imagine weird, trying
2: to be a retailer in this, in that environment, Brian.
4: Oh good God, man. And and the weird thing about it is, is I put to you that good or quality or even great is not mysterious at all each of us can name six or seven great books you know and each of us could would probably agree that the books that the other one picked yeah that was a great book you know so so great is not mysterious but um but it's not really the thing that i think the industry in large is trying for
0: Rogers' yeah, theory—that's because they're risk adverse. Do you think that's the issue? Is just they're afraid to take the chance for greatness?
4: I think I think the problem is uh, is that, and I also think um, great sometimes takes a little longer and sometimes costs a little more. Yeah, that makes sense. So I think those those three things are kind of a problem. Brian, I'm surprised you and I've never had this discussion,
3: but like, I think you could argue that like that first year of Black Panther was borderline great. In that somehow Marvel put out a book that resonated and clearly made it into a film. Um, yeah. How how was it like editorial wise? Did they leave you guys alone and let you just run, <laughs> or
0: you just <laughs> stole my question, Doug? Oh, sorry, <laughs> Doug. <laughs> <laughs> have, I'm looking we'll at it right now. <laughs> Go
4: ahead. Yeah, here's here's the funniest thing about that. Okay, um, the funniest thing about that is. I think everyone involved in the project was white and Tanahtai <laughs> and I were the black guys and there was like a certain bit of yeah whatever you guys want man <laughs> you know that, that that really allowed us to just kind of do stuff you know and uh, and you know I, I've worked with Marvel like a bunch of times before but but I would call them up and I'd say hey you know what Wakanda I'm changing that I don't like the fact that Wakanda has always been drawn as a bunch of huts I think that's insulting, and they'd go, "Yeah, man, whatever you want, man, go for it, dude." <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was like really kind of cool that we were just completely left alone, and uh, and even doing things like um, like Tanahase and I got together, and um, and he said um, he said, "Dude, I don't know the tech. What do you think about the tech?" And I was just like, "I'll send you something." So I wrote up this thing about the technology of uh, Wakanda and sent it to him. And then I thought, you know, maybe I should send this to the editors, too. (laughs) (laughs) But they just they just let us do whatever we want. And uh, and not only that, but they allowed me to work on my own schedule. Like um, they originally contacted me and said, yeah, we want you to do the first 12 issues. And I immediately said, I got four. You know, if if you want the book at this rate, you're going to get four from me. And they were like, okay, <laughs> you know, so so like it it, it worked out perfect um, because and and I think a large percentage of that was they were willing to wait on it and they trusted the creators, you know? well, And I, I, uh, and, and I that's, think that's you're,
1: important. I think you're 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 onto something with that too because I think you've seen and, and you know when we go to meetings with Diamond and stuff, we'll see numbers and obviously it's still very big two driven, but in the last five years or so. You've got a lot of companies like, you know, Boom and Image and um, Aftershock that are that are really building a lot more um, than they used to, and and I feel like the the creator own and kind of the the concept of where a creator does what they want to do and the publisher publishes the book, you know, where the publisher isn't the creator, yeah. and those companies that operate that way they seem to be really get, resonating more and getting a lot more market share than they used to. It's a slow growth, but I really feel like a lot of things are going that direction.
4: Oh yeah. The, the cool thing is, um, is like Doug and I, man, we, we abuse, uh, Kevin, our publisher, you know, I mean, it's, it's so much fun working with him because oftentimes we'll just show him stuff when we're done with it. You know, um, a lot of times when I'm doing a cover, I'll send in the cover and say, yeah, here's the cover, you know, not here's the sketch. What do you think? Uh, so so we're really allowed and 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 what ends up happening is is Doug ends up being my editor for the art and I end up being Doug's editor for the uh for the story so it's sure. like a real cool kind of kind of back and forth and and Doug can just slam on me and I know where it's coming from you know I know oh man Doug is going to be the first gate of quality control so I'm going to make sure that if Doug has a problem with something, if something's confusing to Doug, I need to I need to address that, and um, and Doug knows that I'm going to do the same for for him. So um, so it's, it's it's really I think every occasion in comics when the publisher has left the creators relatively alone or given them sort of as much rope as they need, it's been great stuff, and 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 not just independent stuff, but Marvel stuff, DC comic stuff. Uh, and and great is not mysterious.
0: Yeah, I like oh, that. Going back to Black Panther just briefly. I mean, you guys, black your Black Panther, on started twenty sixteen, right? So right as Civil War was coming out, that was really the most important time for that character to be in the zeitgeist since he came out in the sixties. I would say since Kirby was done with him. Um, did you feel any like editorial pressure or like? You didn't have like Kevin Feige calling you up to yell at you after <laughs> after the movies started dropping.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, the um the the weird thing about it is is when we started working on it, it wasn't important. You know, um, I yeah. mean, you know, they hadn't they hadn't published Black Panther in a while. And he was kind of a second, third tier character that was always cool, <laughs> you know. So um, so it was like when we got kind of when, when I got tapped to do it, my first thought was, Oh, well, man, I love black Panther. I think it would be cool to do black Panther, but again, I don't want to do something stupid. So, yeah. you know, the first thing I said was, well, who's writing it? And they were like, well, we can't tell you. And I'm like, find somebody else. Click. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, Because again, um, if I'm going to go off on this tirade about bad books, I can't be guilty, <laughs> so sure. Um, um, so they wouldn't tell me who was writing it for the longest time, and uh, and when they finally like, you know, kind of did the okay, we'll send you the script to the first issue, and they blotted out all of you know, sort of Tanahesi's name uh, name on everything. I was just like, okay, well, let me just read it, and I read the script, and I was blown away, and I was just like, oh my god, this is this is the real deal, yeah. I'd like to be in on this. Uh, so, so it was, it was kind of not that important. I thought it was going to be cool, but like we were kind of working in a biosphere, just producing pages, kind of having a good time, no big deal. And the thing that blew me away was getting a phone call from my mom who doesn't give a crap about comics and and she said, ah, so I hear you're doing this Black Panther thing, and I was just like, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 we're not going to even have this conversation, <laughs> you
5: know?
4: because she doesn't know who Black Panther is, you know, and uh, and she'd read an article in the, uh, in the New York Times, so I was just yeah. like, oh, wow, I, I, I guess this is a, a big deal, you know, so it was only then that it became, oh wow, you're working on something important. Um, so so it was it was kind of um and, and I think we had already developed that working relationship with uh with you know Will Moss and and Marvel that they just kind of went, Oh, we'll just those guys are over there doing their Black Panther thing, so just leave them <laughs> alone.
1: So was was there any change in like your approach or or the way that you felt about the project once you kind of realized it was a big deal, or did it still feel pretty similar internally?
4: No, I, I get myself locked in, uh, creatively on a, on a project. Uh, and, and I don't want to sound too much like a hippie or anything like that, but there's, there's a certain kind of energy that you get from a project. And and once you're there, you're like, okay, this is what the project wants. And, and you just kind of ride that out. Uh, and uh, and I was already in that place with uh, with with Black Panther. Um, so what's what's really cool is by the time I started seriously doing uh, conventions, I was, you know, well into my four issues. So um so it was kind of like, oh, OK, cool. I'm looking back at it now.
0: Uh, I just want to say right. Rise of the Black Panther. Those five covers are genius work. Man, ah, they, oh, dude, amazing. appreciate it,
4: man. Appreciate. I, I picked.
0: I, I picked number mm-hmm. one. I picked. I picked Rise number one as my cover of the year in 2018 in the CGC or CBC.
4: Yeah, I want them all
2: as prints.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want the OA. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Well, but,
4: but the uh, uh, the, uh, the cool the, the cool thing about that is um is every every time I take on a cover assignment, especially if it's a multiple issue cover assignment what i what i try to do is not do one cover and then do another cover and then do another i want a theme that when you look at all of them together it makes sense it has a certain oh, feeling have to a
0: beautiful it. flow to them
4: beautiful. yeah and um and and again that was kind of a situation where the uh the editor uh i just kind of went to him and i said hey man i got a plan for these and he was just like uh okay go for it, man," and. Uh, and I turned in the first two issues and I was just like, okay, they're going to be silhouettes, you know, all of these are going to be silhouettes. And, uh, and it, it just really sort of sang. I was, I was just, just happy that, that I didn't get messed with or anything like that. And, uh, and they really kind of allowed those to, uh, to develop. And, uh, and the second coolest thing is, I'm, um, I'm hanging out in, uh, in New York uh, at the show and uh Ta-Nehisi comes by the table. And uh, and he says, uh, he says, all right, dude, uh, rise number one. If there's original art, I gotta have it. <laughs>
2: so, so,
4: <laughs> so he just grabbed the original for that and ran off with it.
2: Uh,
0: He's a smart so man. Smart man. This <laughs> actually,
2: sorry to interrupt. This actually brings up an uh, interesting point that um, I wanted to ask you, Brian. Are you traditional or digital when you do your art? Um, I am.
4: Yeah, I, I do. I do both. But uh, but when I'm doing a comic book, I am doing it digitally. And um, and there's um, the, the main reason for that is and this is going to sound weird, is I don't want it to be art. I want it to be story. And if I'm working on a piece of paper, I have a tendency to want it to be art. And uh, and that's just not a good thing. You know that that just really kind of gets in the way of things um, because I'm more concerned about making it pretty than I am concerned about like really telling the uh, the story. But um, but when I'm doing it digitally, there is no aftermarket. You know, there's nothing. No. Once once I'm done with this, um, it's it's gone. You know, so so I like having that attitude towards the work.
1: Yeah, that's interesting
2: that's that's a really good point, one that I haven't heard from any other artist yeah I mean uh, that you're using the tool that best serves the what you are doing at the moment rather than the commerce of it, meaning that you can sell this artwork afterwards, so that's really interesting,
4: yeah, and I, and I think um you know especially like uh i mean the the thing that got me started on it was I was doing a an oracle story. And um, the first page of the Oracle story was Batman coming into her hospital room, you know, after she'd been shot. And my thought was, man, Batman, oh yeah, I'm going to go crazy here. (laughs) But then I realized if you do a story with Batman in it, it's a Batman story. So it actually makes more sense to back off on the Batman and make the story about Oracle. So that really kind of set off a light in my brain that basically said, you know, there's a difference between story and art and you should be doing art when you're doing the interiors of these books.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. I, that's really interesting. I would not have thought of that.
0: No, that's a phenomenal <laughs> insight. And um, any aspiring artist listening should definitely, definitely take, take a note on that one because
4: I agree. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Whatever tool you have to serve your story, the best is what you should use.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, when I, when I'm doing commissions and when I'm doing like um, uh, covers, sometimes it's just like, okay, yeah. You know, yeah, I want you to look sense. at me, Yeah. I want you to look at me. This is all about like stopping the reader in their tracks. I don't want you to look at anything else. I want you to be, I want this to be all about that art, you know?
1: So, uh, Doug, I got a question for you now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this, this one's an easy one. So, uh, uh, so with your, with your writing, it spans a lot of subjects and varieties. I mean, you have a lot of you know, high act, uh, octane action. You got serial killers with blow up dolls for wives. Um, you know, how, how do you, how do you pick your projects that you decide to pursue? Um, and, and kind of, what do you, do you ever, do you ever really leave any behind when you put them on the scrap heap or are they just kind of always there waiting for the right time?
3: Well, I mean, a lot of times it's it's like when I was talking with Daniel and Brian and I work in the same way too. Like we'll we'll throw around a couple ideas, and we, you know, I usually leave it up to the artist that I'm working with to pick the one they want to work on. So honestly, it kind of falls on the artist on which things I'm going to work on next. Um, But they're always there; they're always waiting on me. And so, of course, you know, I've got at least twenty stories that I'm ready to work on at any given point. But, you know, I can obviously only do so many and so can artists. So, like, it's, it's I let them pick, and those are the ones I focus on until I'm done, and then hopefully we move on to the next one. You know, now, the problem is, of course, new ideas come along, and sure. so that the backlog keeps getting bigger and bigger, and you're like, man, I really want to get back to this one way back when. But, you know, who knows when it's ever going to come back around. Yeah, And honestly, I mean, dude, like you said, I I don't consider myself like, I don't focus on one genre. It's like the stories come to me and I kind of like a a large selection of genres myself and I want to play in all of them. So it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm an action guy. I mean, I love action, but at the same time, like I want to write Seven Psychopaths and I want to do Star Wars and I want to do X-Men and I want to do, you know rom-com and you know it's it's all over the place
1: sure yeah um, dude I, I, yeah, i'm gonna have to have you pitch me a star wars story next time do you do that with charles you'll get him nerding out like charles is the biggest star wars nerd <laughs> i've ever met you and charles need to have this conversation uh,
4: well something else doug and i talked about which which i thought you know um was uh was kind of interesting is is oftentimes in the creative process the story or the idea doesn't get delivered to you you get it in installments you know, you you'll get like you know because I I remember Doug telling me with uh with with plastic, is that you know there was just this, and I think it was it was almost from a from a, a road sign that you misread or something like that. You yeah, know, where, where <laughs> it was just like this fragment of an idea, you know, and it's just like okay, that's weird, you know. <laughs> then then the rest of it shows up, you know. So so it is it is there there are those backburner ideas that are like it's 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 like some some like you know sort of Gundam machine or something like that that's just okay well that that idea is missing a leg and as soon as that leg shows up then I'll be able to write that or I'll be able to to get that one going
3: that's so frustrating too when you know it's missing a leg and you can't think of it (laughs) (laughs) you know the next thing you know you're riding down the street and you see KFC and you're like that's it (laughs) <laughs> Chicken. Oh, yeah, exact yeah, leg yeah. I needed for this story. And you're like, what? And yeah, you know, it's just that, that okay. whole process sometimes can be so frustrating.
4: Yeah. You know? well, Even, even with, um, with Thomas river, you know, it's just like, you know, I woke up one morning and I had a scene, which was, uh, I don't know if you guys have, have seen it yet, but, uh, but there's a presidential speech in the book and I had that scene and I was just like, Oh, I got this scene. And I told it to Doug and Doug was just like, Okay, yeah, that's cool, <laughs> you know, but it was, but it wasn't really. There was nothing attached to it, so it was like this, this cool scene that was completely out of context, and uh and you know we had to wait for the arms and the legs to to kind of show up <laughs> you know, until yeah. we uh, until we got it all put together, you know.
1: Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about.
0: That, that actually leads into one of to one of our next questions. Can you talk about? working on your own IP versus other characters like the similarities and difference and what you prefer.
4: Oh man, well for for me, there's something there's something great about both. You know, I mean, I I'm, I'm a fanboy, you know, plain and simple. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge huge fanboy. I'm a Batman fanboy, a Flash fanboy, Spider-Man, just way too many characters. So getting an opportunity to work on those characters, it's just like, I don't even have to think about it. I don't have to create. I, it's, it's like just jumping on a bucking bronco and just riding it for as long as I possibly can. And there's something just really satisfying about, uh, about doing it. Um, but I think when you do your own stuff, when you're creating something from, from whole cloth, it's a whole different kind of of satisfaction, you know. It's, it's, I mean, these are your kids, you know. So, um, so it 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 has like a a, a different, but I think um uh, a more personal touch to it. And I know with me,
3: like it it it's it, initially in my career, it was tougher for me to work on pre created, you know, like Batman and, and those kind of characters because I knew the the history, and you didn't want to mess it up. So then when I got more into creator owned. I realized like I want to write my stories like I want it to be just I want it to be good enough for me to read and so looking back I wish I'd had that perspective when I was writing those characters going I should write my version of Batman not their version of Batman not the version of Batman maybe readers want to see but the version Doug wants to read and so I think I would be better at writing pre-existing characters now than I was say five or six years ago um but I mean, yeah, like Brian said, I mean, there's such a, you know, when you're writing Batman, you got to kind of fan out a little bit because, you know, I mean, I grew up on Batman. And then when you're writing your own characters, you know, there's just like satisfaction when people, when it resonates with other people and they're like, oh, I like this story, but it wasn't, they're not liking you, the fact that you wrote Batman. They're liking the fact that you created something new. Is and there, that's it like, oh, go ahead.
1: Is there is there more like pressure or like insecurity involved with rejection of one or the other? Like if you get- if you do, you feel more le- like you let people down with a character they already love, or more kind of is it worse when they kind of don't resonate with something you created? That's a, that's a good question.
3: I'm good at those, man. That's my specialty. <laughs> I think here's the difference the difference is, is if you let them down on Batman, they ever 100,000 people read Batman and they're going to let you know that you let them down if you let them down on your comic book, it's completely self-created. Nobody's read it, so nobody cares. Okay. You
2: just don't make any money. <laughs> like you just... you, Doug, you could go on to Cure Cancer and people will say, yeah, but do you remember that Batman story you wrote? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
4: Oh, yeah. Oh, As yeah. It, it's, like, yeah, oh, yeah. It's, like, it's like, yeah, cancer, but, you know, his Batman sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, um, there there is... There's a, a a weird pressure and um and I think um I think I chicken out like is as, as often as I can. When you get asked to do Batman, there's a history of great artists that have done much better work than you on the character. So there's like this weird kind of unspoken kind of pressure that's on you. And I think um, I think one thing that's really unique to the comic book industry, and it's it's one of the things that I love about the comic book industry, is you do your own Batman. You know, you don't just do generic Batman. You do you have your Batman that you're putting out there. And what's really cool about that is there's some pressure there too, where it's just like, well, I, I want to create a Batman that's unique. I don't want to do Neil Adams's Batman or. You know, sort of J. Scott Campbell's Batman. I got to figure out my own Batman, and I got to figure out my own Spider-Man and my own unique Green Lantern and and all these other characters. So that that does put like a weird pressure on you, and uh, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of times when when I get asked to do something, you know, like um, like uh, Lisa Hawkins, she's um, one of the great editors uh, at uh, at Marvel. Now she's working at uh, Valiant, but uh, but what's really awesome is she came to me and said, you can do any Marvel character or any X-Men character that you want for this short story. Just pick a character. You can do Wolverine. You can just do anything. And I was just like, okay, give me Cyclops.
5: Mm-hmm. And
4: she was just like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> "I'm like, well, I'm not going to do the best Wolverine story. That's been done. But I do have an opportunity to do the best Cyclops story. So I pick Cyclops. Just takes all the pressure off the table. Yeah, so sure, a lot of times, sure. yeah, a lot of times, what I do is I, I go give me the lame character. I'll take that one.
0: You're preaching to the choir here. I believe I was quoted as saying once on the show, I don't like GSX because who would want a book with two cyclopses on the cover? <laughs> <laughs>
1: so uh, I think we got one more for you guys, and then we'll we'll let you go back to your uh, to your lives. Um, so this one's for both of you. Um, just like to know kind of who is someone in comics at any level that you've, that you've worked with or, or that you haven't, um, but that someone that you feel is undervalued for their influence on the industry or the art form or what they bring to the table.
4: Wow. Wow, man. That's, that's actually, that's actually a, a great one. Um, you know, because there's, there's, there's so many of these people. Um, and, and, I think the the way that I work a lot of times is if, if there's somebody that I like, I, I really don't care, you know, what their status is in the industry. I just, Hey, I like their stuff. And I, I'll oftentimes kind of like want to hang out with them or want to, uh, want to work with them, uh, on, on different projects. So I think, I think that's, a, that's a, a, a fantastic question there. But, uh, man, it's that question's so good. It like blew everyone out of my head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Doug, Doug, you got anyone for that? Well, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one because I think, you know,
3: this is going to sound like me just taking care of my friends, but like, I think you have to look at that original Gaijin crew and you can't deny the fact that Dave Johnson, Cully Hamner, Adam Hughes, Brian Stelfreeze, Jason Pearson, have had a monster impact on comics even to this day. Like, there are people who you can look at their work and go, oh, yeah, you can see Jason Pearson. Oh, yeah, you can see Cully Hamner in their work. And, you know, luckily I was friends with all those guys from a young age, but, like, there's no doubt that all of those people had a huge impact on what comics even look like to this day. And, I mean, you know, obviously everybody knows who Adam Hughes is, but, like, look at the people who have kind of, like, You can see the influences on them, like say a steward eminent at one point. Um Yeah, yeah. Like these huge impacts of these people that like have have clearly made decades of impacts, like from the '80s on to today. And their artwork and their storytelling still is seen in new comic book artists to this day.
1: Yeah, no, I I can see exactly what you're talking about.
4: Oh yeah, that was that was like that was that was an awesome that was an awesome class to uh, to be kind of, uh, kind of a part of, you know, and, uh, and it's, it's kind of weird because as, as Doug was, uh, was talking about it, it's, it's like my first thought is kind of the class before us, you know, um, which was guys like Howard Chaikin and, uh, and Walt Simonson, uh, and even, uh, John Byrne. I mean, for me, the, the coolest thing in the world was, um, was being a huge, just fan and if I was if I was more talented, I would have just totally ripped off Walt Simonson's Thor stuff. <laughs> um, and and just being a fan of his work, but then meeting him, and then eventually like uh, we worked together on uh, on on Wednesday's comics. That was just like just the biggest just the biggest moment for me because like actually getting a chance to do some art on a Walt Simonson story uh, was just like. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, you can, you can kind of take me out right now. This is, this is as good as I need.
1: So have you, have you, um, have you been able to like, have you done much work with Walt, like directly at all? Uh,
4: No, it was just, um, it was just that uh, Catwoman demon story that we did for, uh, for Wednesday's comics. Uh, That was, uh, that was pretty much, you know, sort of where we, uh, where we met, but, uh, but it was kind of, it was kind of a, kind of a cool thing because, like from from that was the first time that Walt and I worked together, but we'd been kind of circling for uh, for a while. And, uh, and he's, he's sort of become my comics dad. (laughs) So it's just like, just, just just a a good guy to to go to and, uh, and just kind of uh, talk, talk to. And, and Walt is one of those guys where his, his career, his art, and his personality are like, perfect things for every comic book artist aspiring comic book artist, to model themselves after
1: yeah i've had the chance to meet Walt only once but he was a uh, he was one of those guys there's certain guys when you go through and you can tell they're just there to do their jobs and there's certain guys when you see them at a con you can tell they're really enjoying themselves and he was definitely in the enjoying themselves category he just seems to really enjoy interacting with people
4: oh yeah yeah and he's still doing it and he's still doing it well yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah So that, that, that just blows my mind um but uh but yeah, I mean, he's he's like one one of the one of the few guys that uh, that I can think of, you know. And I, I think just about everyone else that has had like a, a huge influence on me. Um, I mean, guys guys like Jim Steranko uh, and and Kirby. They're so like well known. They're so just household names as far as uh, as far as the comic book industry is uh, is concerned. Um, but uh, but and. And quite frankly, I think the, uh, the neat thing about it is, is um, there's a lot of uh, women in comics that, uh, that I'd love to kind of get a chance to work with. I worked with, uh, with Devin early on with, uh, with Matador, but, uh, but I, I've always kind of wanted to do some stuff with, uh, with, with Gail Simone and, uh, and some of the other folks.
0: Sorry, uh, just so we get the last name, Devin. Uh, Grayson. Thank you. And I look forward to picking up and reading Thomas River. Does it, is it out already?
3: Nope. It's at the printer. Uh, I think today.
4: Okay. So when- yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, um, the PDF is out. Um, okay. So, so if, uh, if, uh, if somebody wants to kind of go into the, uh, backer kit and, uh, and grab a hold of it, um, they can, you know, sort of get the, uh, the, the PDF uh, relatively quickly. Okay. And when does the floppy hit shops? Uh, I think that's going to be in, uh, late December or early January. Okay. Awesome.
1: And are you guys getting wide distribution into comic shops on that? Like can they set a hold through Diamond or is this one going to have to be comic shops going to have to go through you guys to get a hold of this one?
4: I think for this one, they're ha- they're going to have to go through us. Okay. And
1: what's nope. the best place? What's but, the best uh, place wait. for someone listening if they want to check it out and they couldn't get on Kickstarter? Where's the best place for them to buy this?
4: That would be a backer kit or through Indiegogo.
1: Fantastic. Okay. Well, if anyone that listens to this that's at our store, I guarantee you we will have them at Nerd store because anything Doug produces, we put on the shelf. So we will have them. <laughs>
4: I will pledge so I'm to do work the with same, Doug just so I can get in the shop. <laughs> and hopefully, Smart when man. things when things
2: clear up, hopefully I can get you down to California as well, Doug. Oh yeah, that's a piece of cake.
4: I love California, so consider it done. Yeah. And you know, this is you know sort of uh, past past the podcast, uh, if uh, if you guys want to, but uh, but like as. As a comic book uh, creator, you guys run shops. What do you guys think? I mean, what do you guys, you know, think of the direction things are, are moving in? And, and if you had your druthers, would you push it? Um, would you push some of the creators in a in a specific direction? I mean, like, you know, the the funny thing about it is, is as far as like retail, as far as the direct market is concerned, I generally don't get a chance to talk to the fans on the level that you guys do. So... I mean, what's your take on things?
1: Well, that's – I mean, that's 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 what this podcast is about. So we have about 20 episodes on that. But, but, uh, so that's but, about 20
2: hours' worth. Of yeah, well. yeah, so
1: far. Um, you know, one thing, if I was to say anything kind of about what you just said, one of the things that I – the message I give to a lot of publishers and stuff when we're at Comics Pro and I'm talking to them is – um, we need to stop looking at our customer base as the customers we have, and start looking at our customer base as how do we get the customers we don't have. I think there's too much of people catering to the comic customer, um, yeah. and, which is fine. We need to keep comic customers. I don't. I'm not saying we should just abandon the people, you know, our core base or whatever, but there's so much content that you can easily create a good amount of content that's going to make your regular comic customers happy. Um, but we need to start making not only content, but also marketing decisions and, and advertising decisions that's based around getting people that are not identified themselves as comic readers into comics. You know, like the conversation yeah. we had with Doug about the, you know, the, the, what's the AVN connect, uh, convention when he said it was such a great turnout. Those are not comp, that is not the place a comic company would typically think to advertise yet. Look how oh, it I mean,
0: does. It's and, well, that's <laughs> yeah. a little—that's
1: a little different. <laughs> but uh, but you know you know actually no it, pre-pandemic we had a plan. I was gonna set up a booth at a reptile convention and sell dinosaur themed comic books and just see how it went. You know, <laughs> like and and just sneaking outside the lines those ways, going to a gun convention and selling action books. You know. Um, those are the kind of things I think we need to start doing. And I've, I've tried to talk to retailers to try and get some of them on board doing some more of this because I think on the ground level we can do a lot of that. But I would love to see publishers really start to take that mentality as well and, and really start yeah. to go into those channels because, I mean, we've already got everyone who reads Bleeding Cool that's going to come to comics. You know what I mean? We need to not spend all our advertising there and start thinking about other things.
4: Well, that's that's, that's one of the things that I really love about Free Comic Book Day, because that, that seems like such a great opportunity. It um,
2: is, to, to, but what I and I'm people. sure Roger will agree. You get a ton of people that come in for the free comic books that you've never seen before, and they might even buy some other stuff. But you don't see those people again until the following year. So a little it's percentage. Kind of I mean,
1: it still helps, and there are definitely yes. still. I mean, I got into comics because of a free comic book day book. I mean, I'm very late. I'm a late comer to comics. I didn't read my first comic till I was in my late twenties. Um, you know, this was oh, not man. this was not my path to this type of thing. This was my brother and I went along with him. You know what I mean? So comics was never my thing. And it was because I associated comics with superheroes. And I was like, well, I got enough mm-hmm. superheroes with movies and cartoons. I don't need more. And then there was a free comic day issue by Christos Gage of um, Absolution, which is uh, a, oh yeah. yeah. And yeah. my brother handed me that issue and we're on a trip together and he goes, Hey man, just read this. And so on that trip, I read that. I read crossed and I read um, the killing joke. And I went, oh, wow. OK, now yeah. I understand why I need comics in my life because they're not Your what I thought they were.
4: Your took you out, man. What's that? Yeah. Your brother took you out, man. I was <laughs> like, here, try this thing. It's called. Crack. Yeah,
1: that's that's yeah. exactly what it was. Yeah, yeah. And he knows my taste well enough to know exactly what would work, too. So, yeah.
2: But there are so many people that are on the fence. And if you just give them that little bit of push, you can turn them into comic book readers because we've we've talked about this a lot on the show. We definitely want to see publishers, retailers in the industry, not just market to the people that they already have. We want to market to the people that aren't stepping into the shop, because my wife and I, when we took over the shop, the biggest frustration that we had and we still have to this day is you get millions and millions and millions of people to go see the new Avengers movie or black Panther. But how many of those people are actually funneling into a comic book shop and picking up a comic? Very few, if Mm. any at all, there's been so many times where my wife and I, are at, uh, you know, at a get together or an event and we meet people and they ask us, this is obviously pre COVID. We, uh, they ask us, what do you do? And we tell them, Oh, we own a comic book shop. And they say, Oh really? I just saw the new Iron Man movie. I totally loved it. And we say, Oh, do you read comics? No, I don't read comics. And they just, yeah. Instant dismissal. Wow. Yes. How do you turn those people around?
0: I, I think, you know, you guys have had some good ideas putting, books in places that they traditionally used to be like convenience stores or impulse buys at the supermarket and then also in places where they non-traditionally used to be you know put a rack of comics in the movie theater you know put like some avengers and some black widow Mm -hmm. and some iron man up well i even i don't i don't i don't
1: get on with that as much as is is Honestly, because I think that right now people already. So if you're into superheroes and you want to read superheroes, you don't have a question about where you go. You already know you go to comics. Yeah. The people who don't know that they need comics are the people that read horror or the people that read fantasy or the people that read, you know, th- those types of things. Those are the people who don't know that there's things out there in comics for them. So I'm not opposed to that necessarily, but I don't think we see great gains in Superhero. I think superheroes capped out. I think what we have reading superhero is who is going to read superhero, and I think that's okay. Um, it's already a pretty good base, but we could have a whole lot more people reading a whole lot of other things Yes if we just understand the super, that. The
4: superhero, uh, the superhero crowd seems to recycle themselves pretty, pretty regularly, too, so, um, but, so it's, yeah. it's, it's like – but we don't seem to be gaining on
2: them.
1: Well, and part of the problem does come to what you talked about, Brian, with with making it more accessible, because a lot of the superhero stuff just gets so bogged down. And I mean, like I said, when I got into comics in my late 20s and I when I worked at a comic shop, I went, well, I guess I got to read Marvel now. And I felt like it was a two or three month learning curve just to understand how and what orders to read Marvel books, let alone to get any satisfaction out of the stories um, where it was mm-hmm. so daunting to get into it. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's where we disagree on this show because I, that's like part of what I love is the complexity. And I love all the variables and factors. And, you know, this bleeds into this and this bleeds into that. And for, but I understand that that's a, it creates a high bar of entry. There needs to be, there needs to be a better jumping off point than just having a crisis every yeah. five years and restarting the story with the same canon. There, there's got to be an yeah. easier yeah. way to jump off.
2: But to Roger's point, you, know, it's,
4: it's sort of, you, you, you. sort of remind me of. Um, there's a bunch of friends of mine that uh, they always say, "Dude, you gotta watch Breaking Bad," and I'm like, "I, I don't have the time, you know. I just don't <laughs> have exactly. Like, I can't. I can't just dedicate like three years of my life <laughs> to yeah. that. And it's the same so with I'm comics. Sure great, you can but give. I can't do it.
2: Yeah, it is the same with comics. You can give a book to a person who can be a new reader and say, no, you just have to read this one book. It's the story is just all in here. And I firmly believe you can get more rabid readers to comics by giving them a copy of March or Mouse or Facts from Sarajevo or a book like that. Maybe it's not anything that heavy. I just happened to actually just finish reading. (laughs) facts from Sarajevo for the first time the other day so it's just on my mind but it's a complete story it's not superhero it's something that I think is a very human story and you can get people in through that way
0: no I yeah 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 I think we all agree on that I think where we're at the where Roger and I disagree is I just don't think you throw baby out with the bathwater by ditching 80 years of history
1: well frankly i don't care about to be honest (laughs) with you my if i was if i was guiding the um, industry right now i would completely ignore superhero i would say you guys do what you want to do and i would get the rest of the industry united on the idea of advertising the other to everybody else i wouldn't even care about superhero because i think again i think that it's even with that barrier of entry even if that was solved, I don't think the gains there are nearly what the gains you'd get in the other categories. I think the other yeah. categories is where the gains are, are just sitting I'm, there waiting for someone to grab them.
2: And I yeah, agree yeah. because how well, many I'm people realize that, that, that a movie like Ghost World or Road to Perdition or see whatever,
0: what you did, Ryan, that those see are what you based, did? <laughs> yeah. Not, no, you asked for this.
2: Most people don't realize well, that those I, movies I, I are think... based on comics.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think something something that's interesting is um is There are friends of mine, a lot of friends of mine, um, who will watch the Marvel movies and enjoy the Marvel movies and think that they're the best thing ever and watch them several times over. Mm -hmm. But they don't read any any comics. Many people like that. Exactly. I think to a certain extent, the um, the comics, the comics did. I oh, the movies did the thing that I think the comics should do, which is it sort of didn't completely rely on all that history, but it it sort of at points acknowledged that it was there. Sure.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It paid tribute for that. And I think
4: I think the comics, like um, like um, you know, Doug and I did like a reading group and uh and at at one point uh in this one comic, the comic led up to this shadowy figure turning around and you saw that it was Razagul, And most of the people in the reading group didn't know who raza Ghul was so the point of the comic was completely missed yeah so most of the people that were new readers had an unsatisfying experience yep. because they're like well who, who the hell is that yep. um whereas you know the goons were just like it's raza man! man yeah. come it on is. that was awesome mm-hmm. you know and uh, and the movies don't make that mistake the movies actually present things in a way where, like you, you said, you get both of you guys like chocolate and peanut butter, you know, you get like the history, but you also get like something that you don't have to know. The history. Yeah. And I, and I think another book, uh, another movie that did a fantastic job of that was a, uh, was Deadpool. Yes. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was like so awesome sitting in the theater and the crowd would laugh at certain things, but then the hardcore comic nuts would laugh at other. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, the Deadpool uh, thought, Deadpool nails the fan so service. Amazing. Yep, was, yeah, yeah. Another so, one is Logan. It was, it, it was fan, yeah, it was fan service, but not fan required. Yes, service. no, yeah, exactly. agree. fully agree. Fully I, agree. I, think
0: Lo- I think Logan also does just a fantastic job of paying tribute to the source material, where you can see it in the DNA of the movie but you don't need it. Yeah. You can sit down. And you don't have to watch any X-Men movies and you can sit down and Logan's fantastic.
1: Well, both Logan and Deadpool yeah. could be great movies if they didn't have superheroes in them. They're great movies that ha- and great stories that happen to have superheroes in them. And I think that's the common thread where right. so many so many comics are just a comic of superheroes. They're, without a superhero, they wouldn't work at all for the level they do work. And I think that's the important part is they we need to have people that are writing stories and creating stories that would work without superheroes and then uh, heightened by the fact fact that they're there
4: that's the difference that's the difference between stories and soap opera sure
1: you
4: know when when it's when it's soap opera it's it's just really about the drama yeah of these characters Mm -hmm. and uh and you know who they are as individuals doesn't even matter what the story is about doesn't even matter it's just you know this endless kind of like family drama yeah the uh that the characters get into so, um, so yeah, I think um, I think uh, I think we've solved it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> now we just now we just need to we've get the saved. right people to listen. We've saved <laughs> the
2: industry. <laughs>
1: yeah.
4: <laughs> All right. Just, uh, yeah. Just uh, when this uh, podcast goes up, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So get ready to count the money, guys. Doug. <laughs> Ryan,
2: this is this is what our podcast literally devolves into: is us arguing about the industry and how to save it and what needs to be done. And us shouting over each other, so.
0: <laughs>
4: it's a good time. If if you could, like, add in, like, uh, some, like, overused couches, it would basically feel like my old comic book. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, am, going for.
2: I am usually drinking a nice beer while we do uh, the show, so I tend to get a little verbose by the end of it.
5: <laughs>
4: well guys guys I, I i love doing this this is this is so much so much fun um to uh to rap with you guys so uh so definitely like you know have me back anytime yeah, yeah. I mean, hey thanks for definitely. coming on hopefully
1: uh hopefully when the world goes back to the normal we'll get a chance to meet you in person at some point
0: yeah yes. you should definitely uh yeah. totally tag along with doug to
4: wasatch <laughs> yeah well doug's been trying to get me up there for a while and uh and i, I was planning on like uh, getting out there maybe um possibly this year before the I, end time i can't
2: yeah. recommend it enough brian uh what i will say about roger and his show um is that he literally takes care of all his guests above and beyond i uh, you may not know but i'm also besides being a comic shop owner i'm also a comic creator uh I do a uh, comic strip called collectors, which is like loosely based on myself and my wife and my comic book collecting and all the nerdy stuff she puts up with. Sweet. And um, very nice. Yeah. So it's like, it's done like a Sunday style newspaper comic strip, but uh, regardless what I was trying to make is uh, we're trying to say is that Rogers had me as a guest at his show. Uh, is it twice now? I forget.
1: Yeah. yeah twice.
2: And even though there were bigger names there than me, I was taking care of just as well as any, as any of them. I mean, Green Room, rides to and from the show. Uh, the most oh, well taken care of awesome. I've ever been that's at any show. So I can't recommend enough that you come out there.
4: Yeah, all right, man. Well, I'm sneaking out there, man. That'd be awesome. You know, uh,
2: Was that good, Roger? Yeah, you can PayPal the uh, 20 bucks to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
4: getting to, it's getting to a point where if, uh, if someone like, you know, sort of um, uh, decided to put on a, uh, a comic book shop at the Shell gas station, near my place i would jump on. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you and me both <laughs> yep. I, this year has really showed me how much of my
1: social life revolves around comic cons oh no kidding
4: oh, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> it's awesome and it's yeah uh, yeah, yeah exactly
1: yeah. exactly
4: <laughs> all right well, I think that's going
0: to wrap things up for us this week. Thank you for taking a peek behind the counter, and uh, thank you, Doug. Brian, please come back whenever you want. Just hit us up. You are more than welcome. Um, and that's going to do it for this week. We will see you soon. All right. Thanks again, guys. All right. Thanks. All
4: right you yeah. guys take it
1: easy. All right, you too.
0: This show is part of the Geek Nerd Network. Geek Nerd Network. Find more shows like it at geeknerdnetwork.com This is Janet. Well, I'm glad you asked. Fandom is your obsession with TV, movies, comics, and books. Fandom is debating whether or not Goku or Superman would win in a fight. Clearly, it's Batman. Fandom is about liking things. Join us weekly on Fandom as we talk about all of that and more. Subscribe at fandompodcast.com.